This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by BowlingBranch.com, offering luxury bedding at affordable prices. Order right now and they'll give you 20% off, plus free shipping. Get sheets, towels, blankets, duvet covers, and more at BowlingBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, and use the promo code MOMANDDAD. And by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper mattresses come with free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. And get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash mom and dad and using the promo code mom and dad. And by Little Passports. Inspire your kids to learn more about the world with a subscription to Little Passports. Mom and Dad are fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month today with the promo code mom and dad. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash mom and dad. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for March 31st, 2016, the Defending Easter edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate and the dad of Harper, who's eight, and Lyra, who's 10. I'm Allison Benedict. I'm also an editor at Slate and the mother of Harry, seven, Sam, five, and Wally, three. Hey, Allison. Hi. On today's episode, we'll talk to a real live principal about what to do when parents have a problem with their kid's principal or other school administrators. Then we'll be joined by a very special, very furry guest to defend the worst family holiday, Easter. Plus, triumphs and fails, a listener call from a mom at the end of her tether, and more. And in our Slate Plus segment, we'll do a bonus triumph or fail with Slate's brand new director of technology, Greg Lavalley. But first, my recommendation last episode was for the movie Little Giants, starring Rick Moranis. And in discussing the movie, Dan, as he tends to do, remarked incorrectly that soon after making that Flippantly. movie, right, Rick Moranis gave up acting and went to live his life as a non-celebrity civilian. What we didn't know, but what like so many of you did, an insane amount of you <laughs> knew, is that Rick Moranis actually stopped ask- acting in 97, three years after Little Giants was released, to raise his children when his wife died. So thank you guys for alerting us and correcting the record. It was one of the more surprising batches of emails we've gotten since starting the show, wouldn't you say, Dan? I would, yes, but I would stand by my assertion that whatever the cause of his early retirement, the fact that he has sustained that early retirement and just lived his life, even with its tragic bits, remains one of the all-time great Hollywood success stories. There's actually, I found in Googling this, there's a, there's a good interview with him in The Hollywood Reporter we'll, we'll put on our Facebook page um, from last year about he's no longer really actually retired exactly. He would do certain projects, he says, but he didn't want to do Ghostbusters, which people didn't understand. Anyway, to clarify biographical details about Rick Moranis and correct us on all sorts of other screw-ups, you should come to our Facebook 
page, <laughs> facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting, and you should like it. Uh, we'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page about anything that's on your mind. But also now, tell us how we can improve our Facebook page. And don't send us emails about how we can improve our Facebook page. And don't tweet at us about how we can improve our Facebook page. Just go to our Facebook page and tell us there how we can improve our Facebook page. Uh, all right, let's move on to triumphs and fails. Um, so we got a really great listener call about my fail from last week, which was um, about Lyra complaining that I only ever notice when she does something bad. And I thought the advice that this listener gave was really great, so I actually want to play it for everyone. It's from Anna in Portland. Hit it, Anne. Hi, my name is Anna, and I'm a parent of a two-year-old with one more on the way any day now. Um, I'm also a child developmental specialist. And I was just thinking about your triumphs and fails this week and wanted to say um, that you're right. You don't need to give your kids more praise, but um, more acknowledgement and more encouragement is always a big help. And the difference is just that their acknowledgement and encouragement is specific and targeted. So instead of saying, you're so helpful, you say, hey, I noticed that you were really helpful getting in and out of the car today. And that makes our day much easier. That's a great way to let your kids know when they are doing something well, particularly when they do something well with something that is usually a huge problem. So, um, yeah, just wanted to let you know, you don't need to praise your kids more, but you can give them more acknowledgement, and that's a good thing for them. That is really great advice. Thank you, Anna. I am going to try it. Okay. This week, I have a spring break triumph. Uh, we just got back from Naples, Florida, where Allison, we sadly did not get to go to your favorite bar uh, because everyone got food poisoning. Harold's but, Place in Naples, Florida. Shout out. Uh, you sent me the, the link, and I was so excited, but we didn't go because we were busy barfing. But uh, we did go out a few days before that. This is unrelated to the food poisoning, I feel I must note, for legal reasons. We went out to a fun restaurant in a um, big touristy waterfront complex called Tin City. Did you go there when you were in Naples? Mm-mm. It's fun. It's So it's dumb. It's full of, like, dumb tchotchke shops and galleries full of like the ugliest ass art you've ever seen but it is great because there's a restaurant where you have to wait forever for a table but the restaurant is good and there's a ton of stuff for kids to do while you are waiting for that table and they just give you a pager and send you on your way and then they page you and your table's ready and uh lyra and harper got totally infatuated with this magic shop uh in the in tin city and so like like with all good magic shops the guy who worked there was really good at um like up close sleight of hand and doing those really up close tricks that wow kids especially. And he like blew their minds with a bunch of tricks and needless to say, those tricks were also for sale at the store. Um, and we told the kids that they could buy tricks with their own money if they want, that that's what they wanted to spend their money on. But so my triumph uh, is that I utilized all my memories of being 10 and practicing my own shitty magic act to steer them toward good first magic tricks to buy because the guy did like a whole great routine for example with those like little foam balls that magicians always have where he has one and he transforms it into two and then all of a sudden there's three and the fourth one's behind your ear um and they sell those balls they're 15 dollars for little foam balls and it includes instructions on some of the tricks and harper really wanted to get those but i knew that that's like that's like three weeks of intensive work to learn how to do those sleight of hand tricks that is not like no 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 when your father was a magician Right, right. When your father was a magician, he spent months and could never get that to work, ever, ever, ever. And it drove him crazy. And it's like, and I'm sure I drove my parents crazy as well, surely crazier than I was even driven. Um, and, you know, Lyra wanted to buy like a similarly expensive 
but impossible trick. And instead, I got them to buy, I got Harper to buy a disappearing coin box, and I got Lyra to get a magic coloring book where you flip the pages, and it's uncolored, and then you flip the pages again, and now it's colored. And they take like one minute to learn, each of them, and then they spent the whole night at dinner just happily doing those tricks over and over with like minor script variations, and it was the most peaceful dinner we had the entire time we were in Naples. So that is my triumph. Two questions about this. Number one, is there any way we can get like old videos of Kid Magician Dan to put on our Facebook page? No. Okay. Two, do you generally, do you guys generally like like kid-focused things like that, like restaurants and resorts. We're right now, we're trying to figure out what to do for spring break and we're totally at odds because I feel like we should just like give up and go to one of those like, you know, indoor water park, everything about the kids, hotel places. And John is just so constitutionally opposed to that. I'm in favor. And I mean, I don't want those to be every vacation I take or every leisure activity we do, but in this, you know, but they're very like liberating in a way because they you can't fool yourself into thinking that vacation is about you, right? It's like yeah. when you go to Disney World. Disney World is not about you having a good time, Allison and John. It's about your kids having a great time and you like enduring it. And right. that's fine. That's like a great thing to do for your kids. Now, you don't want all your trips to be like that. But when I go to a place like Tin City, where clearly the whole point of it basically is for my kids to like make it through the meal and have a good time, uh, I embrace it and find it like more relaxing than I find a trip to a place where I'm meant to have a good time and my kids are meant to fuck it up. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, All right. What about you? I missed the deadline to sign Sam up for kindergarten. Ooh. Wait, but so he's still going to go to kindergarten, right? Uh, somewhere. Uh, um, maybe back in Brooklyn no so yeah so I despite knowing that the deadline was approaching I saved it to the last day sent John there with all the forms and then like was missing a form and then it was too late what will probably happen is it will be fine we'll be able to register in the summer like people who are transferring in or whatever do just like we did last year and I think it'll be fine and if it's not fine and we get shut out of our school then we'll go to another school in the district which would also be fine although it would be kind of a bummer because it's not with the neighborhood kids I don't really have anything more to say about it but I felt like I should include it because it's a pretty big fail it was a big fail I mean I remember you told many of us about it the day it happened and yeah we're pretty upset um you don't have to we don't even have to you don't even have to try to make it into something else well, it's definitely not a triumph. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a straight up fail. But, um, but I guess the question is, like, do you view it as emblematic in any way? Is this a, yes. you guys keep fucking up in this way? Yes. So what, do you want to, like, find, do you want to try and remedy this? Or yes. Or do you just feel like you'll forever be the parents who will be doing this? Yes. All do you have yeses. A, okay. Do you have a family calendar on your fucking refrigerator? Yes. Not in our refrigerator because we have one of those stainless refrigerators that doesn't isn't magnetic. <laughs> but we have a calendar. We have a wall calendar. I also have, you know, a million lists. I think part of the problem, to be honest, part of the problem is that I store all the information. And, John, we don't really – I am the, definitely the head of household in this way. And then I right. get overwhelmed and I screw things up. Uh, part of it was that John was traveling for a while, as you know, so was your wife. And yeah, we're just like, we're incredibly, incredibly disorganized. Well, That's all. if there's one thing you're going to be disorganized <laughs> about, make it this one thing. The education. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, no, I, which one I agree with you is totally solvable and it's going to, in the end, not harm you at all. 
Right. It's going to be just like you moved there in the summer. Just right. like when you moved there last summer. Like, it's going to be fine. Right. Moving on. This week, the show is brought to you by BullandBranch.com. The difference between me being a patient, kind, and loving mom or being a hothead, loose cannon, bad mood mom is often just a good night's sleep. And it's pretty nice to get into bed and get that good night's sleep when you have soft, quality sheets. Where, you ask, can I get soft, quality sheets? Just go online to BullandBranch.com, where you can get amazingly luxurious sheets without the department store overhead. Bull and Branch will let you try their sheets risk-free for 30 nights. Plus, BullandBranch.com is offering our listeners 20% off your entire order. Sheets, towels, blankets, duvet covers, everything. Plus free shipping. So, go to BullandBranch.com today. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com for 20% off your entire order and use the promo code Mom and Dad. Okay, back to the show. As a child, the one thing you did not want to happen at school was to be sent to the dreaded principal's office. Times have changed, with many principals no longer doling out discipline and instead adding to their managerial duties the responsibility of setting the tone and vision of their school and overseeing instruction, what is taught and how. But still, for many parents, the old image of the principal remains, the stern leader corded off in his or her office, difficult to approach and perhaps too busy with the big picture to understand or want to hear about the specific challenges facing our kids. So, how best to break down the barrier? How can and should parents and principals relate? Joining us today to discuss is Anna Allenbrook, principal of the Brooklyn New School, a public elementary school in Brooklyn. Hi, Anna. Hi. So, when should a parent reach out to the principal instead of or in addition to the teacher? Well, that's a great question. I think basically if after talking to the teacher they still feel frustration or dissatisfied, I think it is appropriate then to reach out to the principal. It depends on what the topic is. So um, sometimes in our schools, in public schools now, we have a, a parent coordinator position. So sometimes they can reach out to the parent coordinator if it's like a kind of a structural problem, but if it's about the actual education of their child, they probably need to talk to the principal. Define structural problem, like as a, give an example. Oh, something to do with the buses or the schedule or, you know, something uh, concrete. Okay. A parent can, a parent coordinator can help with those kind of things, school lunch, those kind of things. But if it's about the actual teaching and learning, I think then the principal needs to get involved. How do you like to be contacted? Do you, do you prefer an email, a phone call, an ambush at your office? <laughs> I do not like ambush at my office, and I do get that. Um, but, uh, yeah, emails are good, although um, sometimes you get too much information in the email. Um, but I guess an email, but not necessarily with all the details, just that can, can we need and maybe some hint as to what the subject is. So, but the, I, so it seems like a good rule of thumb that you're presenting is don't go immediately over the teacher's head if there's some issue that the teacher that involves the teacher. Try to address it with the teacher first before you then loop the principal in if you still feel dissatisfied or unhappy after that first interaction. Yes, because the principal, as you said at the very beginning, is really busy. So um, every little issue should not be uh, uh, the in the principal's, you know, domain. Um, also remember there's an AP, there's um, a learning specialist, there's someone who helps with uh, special education services. Um, so it might not be the principal that you need to talk to. It might be someone else. There's a math coach. If it's about math, you might want to talk to the math coach. So knowing who, who else is in the building. 
Um, but if you go to the principal, then the principal can also send you to the right person to talk to. How much should parents, if at all, expect a principal to know about their individual child? Uh, nothing? And, and what should what about each teacher and the sort of the specific challenges of each classroom? Right. I actually think the principal should know a lot. They don't have to know the details, but even um, if you have, I have 650 plus kids, so obviously I can't know every single child well, but I can um, read up, read about that child. I should have been having meetings with the teacher, so I should know the kids pretty well. I should certainly know the classroom well. I should know the curriculum. So I think it is okay for the uh, parents to expect the principal to know something about um, not necessarily their child, but their child in relation to that classroom, that teacher, what's going on in that program. And if you if you don't know the child, certainly when I get a message from a parent that they want to speak to me, the first thing I actually do is go to the teacher to find out more because I don't want to just chat without having any information. So then the teacher does know that the parent came to you? Oh, I always tell the teacher. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you're about to have contact with a parent when a parent is calling you or emailing you or about to come in for a meeting, what is one thing that you wish that every parent knew about your job and (laughs) and what you're doing before they walked into that meeting? Right. It's a big job. And I think most parents do know that. But, um, yeah, sometimes parents, if they're, you know, if there's something they really need to talk to you about, they don't understand that it might take 24 hours for you to get back in touch with them. So just to know that it's a big job. That And my first priority is always the kids. So um, often I don't check the emails till after everyone's gone home till the end of the day. So I'm not online all day long. And I think in the screen world that we live in now, parents sometimes expect an immediate response. And um, I can't give an immediate response. So I think giving a little bit of time, knowing that it might take 24 hours to respond, and then um, obviously we then have to schedule the meeting, um, I think is really important. But it's a big job. And I <laughs> I would hope that most parents realize how big the job is, but I'm not sure. When you're concerned about your own child, sometimes you forget that. Yeah, Anna, I'm on a screen all day long worrying about my kid. Why aren't you on a screen all day long worrying about my kid? <laughs> I touched on this a bit in my intro, but how has the role of the principal in the school changed over time that maybe we don't, of our generation of parent, doesn't realize? Right, right. Um, It's just gotten bigger and bigger, I think. Um, The responsibilities are enormous. So you're you're both making sure that um, the education is sound, and Sue's talked uh, nicely about vision, and I think a principal should have a vision of what the program looks like. So you've got to know curriculum deeply in all the all the subject areas. Um, it's There's a huge amount of work around um, budget and hiring and supplies and materials. Um, there's the social-emotional piece, taking care of the kids, making sure the children are safe. There's the health piece, making sure that all the health needs of children are being met. Um, and also principals are responsible for the building. So they've got, you know, if, if there's that um, structure, if a building is being um, repointed or whatever, it, it is the principal who oversees a lot of that work, too. So it's, it's sort of an absurdly big job. And I'm not sure people realize. Um, some people say, well, what do you do all day? But, you know, you, you basically go from one meeting to a next. Principal's also responsible for observing um, at a, a lot, observing teachers frequently and for meeting with teachers around the, what they observe and for writing up those observations. So there's a tremendous amount of writing involved, too. One thing I see a lot among parents in our community, and I imagine in many other communities, is this sort of sense 
from parents that they they feel in their interactions with the school like the school is that they are customers of the school, that the school is there to serve them, that they pay their tax dollars, and therefore the school needs to be responsive and sort of bend to their will. Do you get that attitude a lot from parents, and how do you as an educator respond to that? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, I I don't want to say I get that attitude a lot. I I feel um, that there are a lot of parents who are incredibly appreciative of what schools do. So I like to, uh, you know, notice that and and, um, be grateful that parents do appreciate the work that we do. And I think parents are also very supportive of the teachers. And in in a way, yes, I get that consumer model because that's our country right <laughs> but at the same time these are these are our children so as when when it comes to our children parents are very um we do protect and want the best for our kids and i kind of get that because i'm also a parent so um yeah it's a little sometimes parents can be a little demanding but they're demanding because they're advocates for their children and that's as it should be so i recently had a situation at my son's school um, where his teacher was abruptly replaced without um, explanation. And our principal sent a very brief note alerting us to the change, but uh, said she couldn't elaborate on personnel changes, which I assumed Mm. had something to do with union rules, um, which I understand. But uh, what are the sort of the limits perhaps that that parents don't get? And how much should we expect to to know about the sort of inner workings of what's going on in the classroom of our uh, of our kids? Right. That's that's really an interesting one. I've never had that situation, so I feel for that principal <laughs> and for the parents of the class. I think there are union rules. For example, um, I, I can remember long meetings. You, you can't discuss a teacher's practice with a group of parents. That's simply um, you do. The teacher does have the right to be protected. It doesn't mean that a parent can't bring a complaint and, and the principal has to look into that complaint and, and um, address it. But it's not something you can just chat about, you know, online or at a meeting. So there are um, those kind of rules. But at the same time, I think the principal does have a responsibility to communicate well with their community and share um, as much as is um, allowed What's going on? So if, if a teacher, I'll give it a more concrete example. We've had um, sometimes teachers have to have surgery or something like that. So it's appropriate to, to let the community know that this teacher is going to be out for a while because she'll, she's having surgery. But you don't have to say what kind of surgery or, or anything <laughs> like that. And you do want to explain to parents um, how you will be, how the program will remain the same while the teacher is not in school. So things like that. So you're protecting the right of the, the privacy of the teacher, but you also want to um, help parents to feel that their kids' education will continue uninterrupted. Okay, last question for you. Um, education writer Dana Goldstein once wrote a piece for me arguing that the single most overlooked figure and most important figure in school reform is the principal, that more than money or class size or other resources – Good teachers are drawn to underprivileged schools by the chance to work with excellent principals. And I just you know, I, I would just love to hear you talk for a moment about what is it that a great principal can do for a school that even great teachers on their own cannot? 
I think principals um, have the opportunity to build the program and build the community. And so when you, if, when teachers feel that the principal is someone they can work with, who's someone who's going to um, provide wonderful professional development, give them opportunities to learn, to collaborate together, those are the kind of schools teachers want to work in. If they're in a, an environment that's not like that, it can be very unpleasant. It's like any workplace. Um, and so I think the principal does... Um, sort of set the tone for the building. And I, I do think that teachers want to work in a school where they feel that the principal trusts them, um, will allow them to learn, um, but will also su- will support them, but also set high standards for them. And I think that that's what teachers are looking for. Like, I would think it's the same in any profession. Uh, okay, great. Anna, thank you for joining us today. I'm going to stop ambushing my principal. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, that one, really, that's <laughs> Okay. Thanks, Anna. Okay. You're welcome. Moving on. Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper cuts out the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passes that savings directly to you, the consumer. Casper mattresses are hybrids of premium latex foam and memory foam, and instead of paying like a grand or hundred or fifteen hundred bucks at the mattress store, at Casper you can get a twin for five hundred, a queen for eight fifty, or a king for nine fifty. And most importantly, buying a Casper mattress is completely risk free. Casper offers free delivery and hassle-free returns within 100 days. So instead of just like lying on the bed in the mattress store for two minutes, you can sleep on your Casper for three months and then decide if it's the right mattress for you. Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash mom and dad and using the promo code mom and dad. Once again, that's $50 toward any mattress purchase. Try it for 100 days completely risk-free. And you get that by visiting casper.com slash mom and dad and using the promo code mom and dad. Let's move on to our listener call. Each episode, we answer a question from a listener. If you have a question for us, leave us a message at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. Today, we have Allie from Arizona, who's a new mom and a high school teacher. Take it away, Allie. I have a 10-month-old son, and... At the end of last year, I decided I was going to take the year off of teaching and I was going to work at what had been my second job. It was a retail position, but ultimately I ended up taking another teaching position at a more prestigious high school in the town that I live in. It was a big pay raise and it was two classes that I thought that I really wanted to teach. Before I had my son and when I was on maternity leave, I was so sure that teaching and working was such a huge part of my identity, I would never want to be home with my kid full time. However, um, as soon as I went back to work and started working in teaching where I'm very emotionally involved and I really care about my students, started to feel like I was just a shitty mom and a shitty teacher and honestly kind of a shitty wife. So now I'm trying to figure out whether I should stay in the classroom and take my okay pay and my awesome breaks and just come to terms with the fact that I'm kind of a crappy teacher because my heart is outside of the classroom. Or is it time that I try to find something else? So I guess I'm feeling really guilty and just looking for a little bit of feedback. Thanks, David and Allison. Allie, Allie, you have got to go easier on yourself. Really? You I want to give got. you a hug, Allie. I know. You've really got to, like, take a deep breath. Uh, and remember, the most important fact that I can tell you, no one is good at anything when they have a 10-month-old. 
Yeah, and also, I think, I suspect maybe you're not as shitty at all of these things as you think you are. Um, I think you should, yeah, as Dan said, cut yourself a break. You might be a different kind of teacher now that you have a 10-month-old than you were before you had a kid, and you might be a different kind of mom than you thought you would be when you imagined what kind of mom you would be, and you might be a different kind of wife. I mean, there are all these competing interests and challenges. Uh, That doesn't mean you're doing a bad job at any of them. Or you probably, some of the stuff you are. I mean, my fail at the beginning of this episode was that I forgot to sign my kid up for kindergarten. That's doing a shitty job. But like, that doesn't mean that I'm going to then give up on my career because I messed something up. Like this is, this is life. And I think, I suspect if you care that much about your work, which it sounds like you do, and you care that much about your child that you're worried and feeling guilty about the job that you're doing, that you're actually probably doing a pretty good job at both. Right. The fact that you care enough to like obsess about this suggests that in fact you care enough to be really good at them, whether you're good now, but just don't know it, or whether you will be good when you're not when you are like sleeping more regularly and don't have all these competing interests plucking at you all the time, I think that coming to the decision right now that you are and forever will be a crappy teacher is the wrong way to go. I don't think that that is a reasonable conclusion to reach at this point in your life. I think that you should cut yourself some slack. I think that you should keep doing the job that you think that you want, that you care about. You will get better at it and you'll feel better about it. You'll get better at parenting. You'll get better at wifing. Um, We all have as our kids have gotten older. I think you should talk to your spouse about how you feel. Maybe you could see if there's a therapist you could chat with about your anxiety. Your anxiety level seems very high right now. It couldn't hurt. Um, But overall, I think that you just need like a maximum number of hugs from everyone you can possibly get them from. Also, you should talk to your colleagues. I imagine in a profession like teaching, there are a lot of women uh, around you have who have gone through this first year back from maternity leave teaching situation uh, multiple yeah. times. And you should talk to them because I bet this is a pretty common um, feeling. And I bet that they might have some great advice about either chilling out or just how to juggle and, you know, sort of prioritize. Yeah. All right, Allie, you're going to be great. You're going to be fine. Don't sweat it. I like when our listener call becomes like a like a weekly pep talk that we deliver, <laughs> like my pep talk to Devin last last the other episode or this one. So if you have a question or you just want a pep talk on the air, call us at 424-255-7833 and we will deliver. I'm going to call in for a pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's move on to our second segment. Uh, Right around the time on Easter Sunday that we tossed a Trader Joe's bag full of Lyra's vomit onto the shoulder of Interstate 75, I thought to myself, Dan, I said, Easter is the worst holiday. It is great that Jesus rose from the dead and all, but as a holiday celebrated by families, Easter is bullshit. It is. So it's all the candy of Halloween, but no fun costumes. It's like if you celebrated Christmas, but you gave like a minute of thought to the presents that you give everyone and you just give them candy. The awfulness of Easter really came into the news this year in the town of Orange, Connecticut, where an Easter egg hunt at the Pez factory devolved into chaos with parents bum rushing the field and stealing 9,000 candy eggs before kids could even get to them. Let's play a clip from a local news report. Someone pushed me over and took my eggs, and now I feel I would have done, and I broke my bucket. So this is what Easter has brought us to, Allison. So a little while ago, I called the Easter Bunny on the phone to demand some answers. Let's listen. Hello? Hey, hey, Easter Bunny. It's Dan from Mom and Dad are Fighting. 
Dan, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you? So, uh, so where are you right now? Where does the Easter Bunny unwind after the holiday? Well, you know, the funny thing about the Easter Bunny is people don't realize the enormous amount of eggs that I require on Easter. So Easter is actually my easiest day of the year because with the use of magic, delivery is simple. But I actually have to raise every chicken and collect every egg. So I am back on the farm. I have one of the largest poultry farms in all of North America, and we are collecting eggs for next year. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I guess you can't do magic for that. You just got to do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah, when it comes to farming, magic does not work. Yeah. All right, well, so let's start with a big story on Easter. What the hell happened at that Pez factory, Easter Bunny? Can you defend that kind of behavior, what we saw from those parents? You know, it's indefensible, to be honest with you. The problem is, is that parents don't realize that Easter has nothing to do with them. It is really completely about the children. In fact, what I would encourage is next year, just drop the kids off at the field, let them go for the Pez, and you go get a coffee and come back in an hour. And that'll solve the whole problem. It really was it's a horrible thing that happened at Pez on Easter morning. So you completely, you are completely unconnected to that. You, you, you completely do not agree with anything that those parents did, despite their obvious passion for Easter. I actually don't think it's passion for Easter at all. I think it's passion for free things. It happens when whatever it is that's free, people kind of go crazy about it. Same thing with my eggs. It's why kids are so excited on Easter morning. You know, if they had to pay money for my eggs, there would be a lot less excitement. So no, I, I really think it had more to do with free than anything else. And those parents, um, they're never going to get an egg from me ever again. But don't you think that this points to a real problem with the holiday of Easter is just free candy. That's like the, that's all that Easter is for most families. It's just the free candy holiday. Like, why do we have a holiday that's just giving our kids a bunch of candy in the morning to eat? Well, I mean, the problem really started with Christmas, to be honest with you, Dan. You see, Santa got in early, and he grabbed reindeer that flew, and he stuck trees inside people's homes, and he went with a present route. And I had to somehow get kids to be excited about Easter. I was competing with Christmas, so I really had no choice. To be honest with you, my first option was I was going to deliver bourbon to adults on Easter. I thought that would be a fantastic way to celebrate the holiday, but it turns out to ingrain a holiday in a person, you have to start in childhood. And so the bourbon idea went to the wayside, and I decided candy. If I can't do presents and Christmas trees, I'm going to go candy. Uh, that's a real shame. That, I, that would maybe make me like Easter, but I still stand by my thought that Easter is just like not a great holiday for families. Like, so this friend of uh, our podcast, Jess Crows, tweeted that she thinks that Easter is the number one holiday for vehicular child barfing. Uh, I think that that's true. I think the research would back that up. Do you deny that we just see a dramatic uptick in kid barfing on Easter? I think that the child barfing that happens in cars is directly correlated to the ability of the driver to drive. If you can keep your car steady on the road and you know what the hell you're doing, then your child should be fine. I also think, frankly, that parents are supposed to monitor the amount of candy that children eat. So if your child's barfing in the back, you are either a lousy driver or you have overfed your child. Why are we celebrating Jesus's resurrection with a bunch of plastic eggs and a bunny? Like, how, why, how, why is that happening? Now, that is a good question, Dan. And that's honestly something that... It's difficult for me to answer. I took Easter because it was an opening. It was a vacuum in need of filling. <laughs> but when you think about Easter, we're celebrating the rising of a man from the dead. He emerges from a cave. I'm not really sure what we can do with that. I, I just can't. You know, it's 
there's not much we can do with a man rising from the grave. And so why not candy? I've always wanted to ask you, Easter Bunny, uh, does it creep you out ever to give out all those chocolate bunnies to watch kids gleefully eating animals that look just like you? You know, for a while, it felt a little odd to me. But I mean, is it really any different than when you go into a Christian church and you see Jesus hanging on the cross? Don't you think that probably creeps out Jesus a little bit? The idea that his form is plastered on the sides of buildings everywhere, and he has to look at that awful torment again and again every time he enters a church, spiritually speaking. I guess I guess that's a good point. And I mean, I guess we are eating his body there, too, so there's little difference. In, in a way, you, you're comparing yourself to Jesus. Would you say that that's true? Well, I mean, I am magical. Uh, you know, I think we derive our magic perhaps from different places, but, you know, he turned, you know, one fish into a lot of fish, and I make children happy with candy. It seems about the same to me. What would you say in the end to parents like me who appreciate the religious significance of Easter, but who just really wish it would go away as a family holiday? We can't find the joy. How would you help us find our joy? I would probably say, and I say this to everyone who sort of um, bemoans a specific holiday, I think what you should do, Dan, is go out and, and do what you do. If you're a golfer, golf. And if you're a skier, go ski and allow the children and the people in your home who actually sort of have a heart and remember what it's like to be a child, allow them to celebrate and just remove yourself from the situation because there's nothing wrong with an adult who has no holiday spirit going somewhere where they are wanted. So you're giving me a get out of Easter jail free card from the Easter Bunny himself. If you're miserable about it and if you're going to, you know, make it unhappy for the people around you, yes, I think you should leave the home and leave Easter to the people who can find the joy in candy and magic bunnies and waking up in the morning and watching your children hunt around the house for surprises. All right, last question for you. Uh, what would you say to those parents in Connecticut, the parents at the Pez factory? Do you think that they're like me, they don't love Easter, or do you think that there's something else at play here that you can help them with? You know, if we're going to be serious for a minute, I think the problem here is that Parents tend to believe that their children are entitled to certain things at all times. And so I think they saw a field with Pez dispensers and Pez candies, and they thought, in order for my child to have a fulfilling experience this morning, I must ensure that they get their requisite Pez dispensers. It's the same thing as when you crack open a pinata and the candy falls, and you watch those three parents who dig in for the candy, not for themselves, but to ensure that their child receives an equal amount. Those parents have to understand that nothing is equal in the world, and it's the joy in the hunt and not the joy in the get. So you have to let your kids go and hunt. And if they come up short, bring them to the drugstore and buy them a beautiful chocolate Easter bunny and let them celebrate that way. Uh, it's pretty great wisdom from a six-foot-tall bunny. Thanks. Thanks, Easter bunny. We appreciate you taking our call. Thank you, Dan. I'll see you next year. Uh, maybe you will and maybe you won't. <laughs> Bye-bye. Goodbye. Playing the Easter Bunny, of course, in that segment was our old pal, Matt Dix. Matt is an elementary school teacher, a storyteller, a novelist, and a podcaster. You can learn more about Matt's work and hear his podcast about gender and gender stereotypes, boy versus girl, at MatthewDix.com. Thanks, Matt, for joining in. Just to be clear, it wasn't like a no Jews allowed situation. That's not why I was on the, not on the call, but we had a studio studio situation, so I couldn't, I couldn't make it. It was a very convenient studio situation to make <laughs> sure we had no Jews in our Easter conversation. <laughs> Uh, All right. 
Mom and Dad Are Fighting is brought to you by Little Passports. Inspire your kids to learn more about the world with Little Passports. This award-winning educational subscription sends you monthly packages in the mail, but instead of it being addressed to you, each one is addressed to your kid. It features a new country or world theme, and it's filled with letters, souvenirs, stickers, activities, puzzles, and more. It's a really fun way for kids to learn about geography and cultures around the globe. Countries in Europe and Asia and Africa, all over the place, and it gets your kid excited about the concept of places other than wherever it is that he or she lives. Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month today with code MOMANDDAD. Learn more. Take a peek inside those monthly packages so you can see what you'd be paying for at littlepassports.com slash momanddad. Again, littlepassports.com slash momanddad, and the promo code is momanddad. Back to the show. And time for recommendations. Allison, what do you have? Um, I want to recommend something less concrete. It's not something you can buy, but... Uh, I want to recommend Weekly Traditions. I have started, I think I recommended this a while back, actually, another time when it was a not concrete recommendation, um, eating at the bar with your kid. Uh, so that has, that's become a weekly tradition. Harry and I go to speech therapy on Mondays, and then afterwards we eat at this restaurant next to the speech therapy office at the bar and chat with the bartender and the guys at the bar. Uh, and now Sam and I also kind of have a weekly tradition of doing errands together, which Sam really loves doing errands. So we do errands together after his karate lesson. We also have a Sunday tradition of him folding um, his dad's underwear. He really loves to fold <laughs> underwear. He likes to, he likes to participate in the laundry. Uh, anyway, these have all become like really sort of special, small, short, alone time uh, moments with my kids that I super value. So I want to, you know, keep them up in some form. I love that. Yeah, I love it. the weekly traditions is a great recommendation. If only you loved Wally enough to have. One <laughs> I am recommending uh, a really great family game. As you know, we are big fans of playing games in our family, especially America's favorite family card game. Ace of hates available at ace of But part of the fun of vacations is finding new games to play in like whatever house you're staying in. And sometimes they're like crummy games from 1940 with half the pieces missing. But sometimes you find a real gem. And this time we did in my dad's condo in Florida or in his new wife's condo, really, that he is uh, glommed onto like a genius. Um, we found a really great game from 1968. It is called Score Four. So, Allison, you know, Connect Four, right? The bane of parents everywhere because it's so easy to beat a kid at Connect Four. Mm hmm. So instead of just a two-dimensional space in which you're trying to make rows of four, in score four you play in three dimensions. It's a board with posts stuck into it in rows and columns, and you drop beads onto the posts, and you can make four in a row horizontally, vertically, diagonally, um, it, all kinds of weird, crazy angles, and it turns a pretty simple thing into a more complicated and interesting and challenging one. And it's the rare game that, that parents can play with kids, and I think it's equally challenging for each of them. I played it with both my kids while we were in Florida. We played it like every day. They beat me as often as I beat them, um, and it's like really, it's like a great brain teaser of a game. Uh, I just bought, so we got home and I bought a used copy of the game for like twenty bucks on Amazon. Um, you can also find uh, versions of the game possibly copyright defiling versions of the game unclear that people have crafted on their own on like Etsy and other craft sites. Uh, but it's really fun and I highly recommend it. It's called score four. Uh, that sounds great. That's our show. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. 
Send us an email at momanddad at slate.com to suggest guests or topics for future episodes. Mom and Dad are Fighting is part of the Panoply Network. Check out Panoply's new show, Pregnancy Confidential, and all the Panoply shows at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman, and our intern, Shiva Bayat. Thanks to Steve Lichtai, the managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers, the emperor of Panoply. Thank you to our guests, Anna Allenbrook, Matt Dix, and Greg Lavalley. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. 